Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Uh, the, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Byron Donalds, our newly elected congressman here on the Paradise Coast. Uh, we'll visit with Megan Rose. She's the CEO of a terrific not-for-profit. It's called Better Together. Just got a nice uh, grant from the Gannett uh, uh, Foundation. We'll find out why. And John Burlow, he is the author of George Washington Entrepreneur. He's also a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. We'll be visiting with John as well. It is December the 18th, and on this day in 1620, the British ship, the Mayflower, landed on modern-day Plymouth, Massachusetts, and its passengers prepared to begin their new settlement in Plymouth Colony. Uh, the story of the Mayflower began in 1606 when a group of re- reform-minded Puritans in Nottinghamshire, England, founded their own church, separate from the state-sanctioned Church of England. Accused of treason, they were forced to leave the country and settle in the more tolerant Netherlands. After 12 years of struggling to adapt and make a decent living, the group sought financial backing from some London merchants to set up a colony in America. On September the 6th, in 1620, 102 passengers dubbed Pilgrims by William Bradford, a passenger who would become the first governor of Plymouth Colony, crowded on a Mayflower to begin a long, hard journey to a new life in the new world. On November the 11th, the Mayflower anchored at what is now Provincetown Harbor, Cape Cod, before going ashore. 41 male passengers, heads of families, single men, and uh, male servants signed the famous Mayflower Compact, agreeing to submit to the government chosen by the common consent and to obey all laws made for the good of the colony. Over the next month, several small scouting groups were sent ashore to collect firewood and scout out a good place to uh, build a settlement. Around December the 10th, on one of these groups found a harbor they liked in the western side of Cape Cod Bay. They returned to the Mayflower to tell the other passengers, but bad weather prevented them from landing until December the 18th. They had a real hard time. They met uh, the Indians who taught them how to plant corn uh, and uh, making it through the first year. I think about half of the uh, 50 of the original passengers uh, died out of 102. But they ended up settling there and uh, ended up flourishing. They tried communism at first. Everything was in the common square, in the squares in the commons, and uh, that didn't work out so well because there was resentment, of course, that some people just didn't pull their weight. So they went to uh, parceling up the land, and uh, everybody became more successful as a consequence. All this happening on this day, 1620. Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 188 new cases of COVID-19 and two additional deaths in Cuyahoga County on Thursday. The moving seven-day moving total of... Uh, New cases is 139. Uh, the low point, I think, was about 34 cases, and the high point was about 221. Thursday, there were 79 patients in Cuyahoga County hospitals because of COVID-19, and that's substantially more. 33 fewer patients that reported approximately the same time on Wednesday. <clears throat> so a lot of folks released. Alex Berenson, 
He's an author. He used to write for the, I think it's the uh, Wall Street Journal. Anyhow, he uh, wrote a book about COVID-19, and uh, it was upsetting to a lot because it said, hey, it's not as bad as you think. Well, he said, if you're a healthy person under 40, you have a 1 in 100,000 to 400,000 chance of dying because of COVID-19. 1 out of 400,000. Based on Italian death data and assuming 15 to 30% of uh, people have been infected, and a 1 in 5 chance of suffering a severe adverse effect after the second Moderna shot. So I, he's just admonishing us to think about, do our research on the vaccine before you choose to uh, get the shots. A petition to recall embattled California Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom is picking up serious steam as the governor faces backlash over stringent coronavirus lockdown orders, a hypocritical dinner visit to, a French, to the French laundry, and an emerging unemployment scam. As of Thursday afternoon, the petitions had more than 820,000 signatures. So uh, that's more than half of the 1.5 million signatures needed to force a recall vote. He wouldn't be the first uh, to be recalled. That was how uh, the Terminator ended up getting elected because of uh, Governor Gray getting uh, recalled. So anyhow, he's kind of setting himself up for uh, being no longer being governor in the uh, state of California. If recall qualifies for the Barch ballot, California residents will simply vote yes or no as to whether Newsom should remain in office. So uh, there's going to be a lot of other candidates for governor, but I bet he's recalled. I really think he will be. He's so arrogant, he thinks he's above the fray. There, shouldn't be a wake up, there should be a wake-up call to Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer, to a- uh, Andrew Cuomo, and uh, all the other masked-up lockdown wizards who elected officials. Uh, <laughs> the people just aren't going to stand for this. We're so fortunate to have uh, Governor DeSantis. He's making great decisions. Well, uh, Wall Street's three main indexes closed at record highs on Thursday as investors grew more optimistic about the coronavirus stimulus bill. We'll be talking about that in just a little while with uh, William Yatman. Dow was up 148 to close at 30,300. That's great. Uh, and by the way, uh, the uh, head of the uh, Fed said, you know what, based on where interest rates are right now, stocks are not all that highly priced. Interesting. A tweet from Thomas Sewell. And this is such an important admonition to us all. We take our freedom for granted. But he says, it doesn't matter what rights you have under the Constitution if the government can punish you for exercising those rights. And it doesn't matter what limits the Constitution puts on government officials' power if they can't exceed those limits without any adverse consequences. In other words, the Constitution cannot protect you if you don't protect the Constitution with your votes against anyone who violates it. These gov- those government officials who want more power I'm not going to stop unless they get stopped. That from the great economist Thomas Sewell. He is so right about that. We need to take, take an active role in protecting our Constitution. Oh, uh, Peter Navarro, he's a trade uh, expert, trade uh, senior trade guy with the uh, administration, but he's, he wrote this as a citizen. This is an, uh, the, an executive summary of the immaculate deception, he calls it, six key dimensions of election irregularities. I'm not going to read through the whole. In fact, the executive summary is even long. It's 30 pages with six pages of footnotes. Uh, The summary itself is just a couple of pages. But what he does is he takes six dimensions of uh, election irregularities, outright voter fraud, ballot mishandling, contestable process fouls, equal protection violations, voting machine irregularities, 
and significant statistical anomalies. So those are the six areas across key six battleground states. That would be Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And he conducted an assessment of each of the states. He said basically that uh, this is uh, the irregularities follow no specific pattern. I think he referred to it as Anna Karenina as uh, unhappy families, uh, meaning that uh, each of them is different, but each of them used to some degree each of these six irregularities in order to uh, stack the deck against Donald Trump and to uh, maintain the victory for Harris and Biden. So uh, he called it stuff. He called it stuffing the ballot box, unfairly tilting the playing field, in the report. Uh, so I'm not going to go through the entire report, but it's such an interesting read. I just encourage you to find this uh, this uh, immaculate deception by Peter Navarro. He wrote it as a citizen, not as the head of a trade in the Trump administration. So. Uh, with regard to the election, Sidney Powell's Kraken has finally made it to the docket of the Supreme Court. The suit is perhaps the strongest collective argument yet against voter fraud. It contains the forensic audit done in Michigan that proves systemic fraud can, uh, occurred throughout the Dominion voting system tabulation. It all has as proof of at least 200,000 fraudulent votes cast in the election. Further, it contains official Georgia elections records that prove that Dominion Voting Systems program inability, its program's inability to repeatedly duplicate credible election results. In other words, official Georgia election canvassers could not rely on Dominion Voting Systems software to count the votes because it didn't repeat the same vote totals twice. So interesting. So she's back on the Supreme Court docket, and hopefully this information from Peter Navarro will help her uh, in uh, the uh, <clears throat> uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Roberts, was heard in the next room. It was actually taped, and uh, Lynn Wood reported this, but he basically said that he doesn't want to hear the case, and this is the first case uh, from Texas. He didn't want to hear the case because it will bring rioting in the streets. had nothing to do with the case itself. He's concerned about how the people react to them, first of all, just hearing the case, but second of all, making a decision in favor of uh, the people. That's unbelievable. He should be, he should be imp impeached, Justice Roberts. So, and finally, according to, a, in this segment anyhow, according to Fox Business host Maria Bartiromo, an Intel source told her that President Trump won the 2020 election during her show on Monday, uh, December the 14th. She cited an Intel source declaring President Trump was the winner of the election. Uh, and I'm not going to go through this right now, but there's so much evidence showing that the president won the election. Hopefully, uh, somebody in the courts or somebody who's an elected official in the, each of these states will stand up and uh, declare uh, the truth and protect our voting process here in the United States. Again, I just really encourage you to read uh, the uh, Peter Navarro report. It's very compelling. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and tickets are on sale now. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with our newly elected U.S. Congressman Byron Donalds. Right now we have with us William Yateman, as I mentioned before the break. He's a, a senior fellow at the uh, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. And tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. So uh, right now there's a start and stop with this legislative stimulus package that, uh, uh, you know, they're trying to parcel together and cobble together something that will work for the American people. In the meantime... Uh, the markets continue to levitate. Uh, however, uh, right now we're seeing increasing unemployment, people losing businesses. What's going on? Well, it, it looks as though the parties are coming together um, in the House and the Senate on a $900 billion bill um, that is actually attached to a, a must-pass uh, spending measure. If they, if they don't pass this attendant bill, the government will shut down and They've got a deadline till midnight tonight to get that done. Um, at this point, it appears likely that they'll they'll pass a stopgap spending measure, and negotiations will continue 
<clears throat> into the weekend. Um, but it does appear as though a bill will get done. And again, it's a $900 billion. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it continues with these programs that were in prior common stimulus bills, in particular the extension of unemployment benefits, um, this Paycheck Protection Program for small businesses, and uh, direct payments, the 600 to $700 uh, directly to American, um, you know, to Americans. So it's a, what is not in there is, I guess, also notable. Um, so neither side got their, got certain priorities. Uh, Democrats were very keen on, on bailing out state and local governments um, for years of fiscal mismanagement, to be perfectly honest. Um, and Republicans were keen on affording businesses liability for suits over COVID. Um, you know, were someone to go inside a business voluntarily and thereby contract COVID, the, the legal issues surrounding that as to who is to blame potentially are very much unresolved. So neither of those two issues are apparently on the table. But um, again, these other issues, direct payments, unemployment uh, insurance, and, and also the Paycheck Protection Program um, do appear set to get done, if not today, then by the end of the weekend. All right, good to know. Hopefully they won't do this uh, bailout for uh, New York City, uh, Chicago, and other places that are overspent over the years. It's uh, certainly not appropriate to do that. You know, William, I remember the day when we thought that a billion dollars was a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Here, here to that, uh, I'll note this. Um, With respect to what you just said, that that Congress looks certain to deny state and local governments um, bailouts for their years of fiscal mismanagement. Um, that was bemoaned on the Senate floor by Senator Dick Durbin from Illinois, very powerful uh, Democratic senator uh, in the leadership. Um, but uh, it's not coincidental that Illinois, that the uh, state legislature, the, the head of their version of the House, uh, right when this pandemic kicked off, early on in COVID, sent a letter to Dick Durbin saying, Hey, in addition to you know uh, the Paycheck Protection Funds, these other measures that you're thinking out, well, thinking of, we would like to request forty billion dollars, and it was expressly to cover their pension problems and past fiscal mismanagement. Yeah. Um, so you know, we we did. Uh, the, <laughs> Illinois had powerful friends in Congress, and I do think it's to the GOP's credit that they resisted that. Um, you know, setting aside the necessity of the $900 billion, there are people who are facing the end of unemployment insurance. And there are, you know, in large part, uh, their economic ills are due to the fact that the government is, in many states, has shut down the economy. And yeah. again, there's good reasons for that. But I'm just saying it's complicated, those issues. Yeah. However, the issues of state and local bailouts, to me, appears open and shut, very easy. I mean, it's completely and utterly unwarranted. No question about it. And I know there's got to be some give and take here to get this thing done, but uh, that's certainly way beyond the pale, in my opinion. I mean, it's the old uh, never let a good crisis pass without Indeed. In- exploiting yeah. it. So, uh, you know, are your kids in school? My kids are. Well, unfortunately, they're not in school. They're of school age. Yeah. Um, I can proceed on that vein. If yeah, I know, like. because, I mean, you know, here we're so fortunate. Our uh, commissioner of education here in the state of Florida basically said all schools will be open on August the 1st, brick-and-mortar schools, and then parents can make a choice what they'd like to do about that. So uh, things are going swimmingly here in, in uh, Florida, and uh, we've had no problems. How's it going up there? <laughs> it is not going so swimmingly. Um, uh, 
our, our locality, evidently, teachers' unions are very powerful, and teachers' unions are something that I gave little thought to, actually. They, they weren't within the issue areas that I covered at Cato. Mm. Um, but now, as a parent, I've become acutely aware of the power they wield. Um, and uh, I'll say this, Florida is acting in accordance with the science. Um, that there is actually, as reported in the New York Times, uh, no less an authority than the New York Times, there is little evidence that schools and elementary schools in particular, and I've got children of elementary school age, mm-hmm. spread the virus. We're the only industrialized, developed country um, in the world that, that is not sending their kids back to the school in the midst of all this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reasons being set forth by the teachers' unions are, are risible. I mean, to, to be frank, the, the L.A., the Los Angeles Teachers Union, this was a couple months ago, um, they issued a letter. This is the largest uh, a local teachers union in the country. I mean, there are scores of thousands of teachers. And they said that they're not going to, to get back to the classes until police are defunded. I mean, that was part of their demand, which is outrageous. Um, and just this past week... The, the largest national uh, teachers' union, the National Education Association, um, their leader, Becky Pringle, told the New York Times that uh, her teachers or her union would resist having teachers placed at the front of line, uh, front of the line for vaccination, um, that they, quote, weren't going to be bullied back into the classroom. I mean, here they're, they're resisting the idea of getting a vaccine because it would facilitate yeah. getting back into the classroom. And um, the, to me, this is all so outrageous, and it's actually increasing my ire with each passing day oh. um, as a parent. Um, but I, I, just in many major urban areas, my included, um, the teachers' union are wielding this incredible power that seems to be the primary obstacle to getting our children back to school. Well, it's in a primary obstacle to having a good education in most of the public schools across the nation, quite frankly. And uh, if you're coming to the realization right now that this is a factor, boy, it's a really a factor here in Cuyahoga County. Well, I'm so grateful. I mean, we've got our schools open. And by the way, the history and what's happening with regard to the coronavirus, there's about an average of two or three cases per school out of 50 schools here in Cuyahoga County. So you can see it's, they're not big uh, spreaders, uh, so to speak. So uh, I, I feel for you, and I, hopefully we can do something about uh, getting the unions under control because they're standing in the way of not facilitating good education, in my opinion. Uh, if, I, if I could just add one other thing in that nature, all these recent troubles have, have got me thinking about the teachers' unions, sort of their place within our society. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not meaning to impugn their our child has wonderful teachers and yeah. another child in the way. Um, nonetheless, these unions, at the end of the day, they're negotiating against the parents, they're negotiating it against the taxpayer, against the citizen. I mean, that's their posture, yeah, exactly. um, their whole reason for being. So it's just on, on, sort of from the bird's eye view, um, it's, it's got me thinking. And, and again, I, I, I hope that we as society, I've, I've noticed that a number of progressives with children, school-age children, are similarly outraged yeah. um, with these teachers' unions. So I, I hope as a society, perhaps, we, we rethink these arrangements whereby these unions are given so much power over the education of our children. Absolutely. And by the way, when I make these comments about the unions, I'm not talking about teachers. I actually think that the teachers themselves re- resent the power of these unions. Teachers want it. They, they're dedicated to, for the most part, dedicated to the a good education for each of the children for whom they have some responsibility, but not the teachers' union. That's not how they're, they're into power, unfortunately. 
William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. I'm going to refer our listeners to your website, cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Byron Donalds, our uh, new congressman. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board, and I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Megan Rose. She is the CEO of Better Together, a terrific organization. Right now, we have our newly elected congressman here in the Paradise Coast, Byron Donalds. Byron, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing good, actually. You know, I was in Georgia for the last couple of days, uh, so a little tired, but you know, no time to rest. We have to get, go ahead and make sure we've been in Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. Can you give us a little perspective on what you found there? Actually, what I found are really a lot of just conservative activists who are still working hard uh, trying to get uh, Kelly Leffler and David Perdue uh, over the line. I mean, I was in, let's see, Warner Robins, Macon, um, Columbus. Valdosta, Atlanta, I mean, really, uh, more cities than that. It just really was all over the place in Georgia. 
the last couple of days. Uh, one thing's clear, though. I think you have a lot of Republicans who are still upset about what happened uh, in their state in November, very upset about it. And I think we're finding really most Republicans are saying, roll your sleeves up and let's just continue to work and try to win. Unfortunately, we do have some who are, who are you know, are basically like, why vote? Um, oh. If they're going to steal it in the, in, from the president, they'll steal this one too. And, you know, the one thing we try to remind them is that, listen, you know, if you feel that somebody stole something from you, you can't just sit back and just, and just you know, put your head in the sand and throw your hands in the air. You really have to just get out and, and keep going, keep working hard. And so hopefully that wins the day in Georgia uh, because literally uh, the country is on the line. I know it is, and you know, uh, President Trump is our leader. I mean, he left it all on the field during the election. <laughs> the number of stops that he made in order to uh, keep the people informed and keep them excited about the election. We should take a page out of his book. We should be support him the way he supported us. Totally agree. And so I think it's actually an interesting period right now because you know a lot of listening Georgia, myself, Madison Cawthorn, we were getting pilloried with questions. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? the president mm -hmm. and you know our response has been clear like well we have to get sworn in first like you don't you know actually i'm still a, a, i'm a private citizen right now bob for the first time in four years right uh because i'm no longer a state representative lauren mellows she's sworn in so she now represents and so i you know i take office january 3rd so we're in this period where obviously we are strongly supporting the president we want him to continue to fight um i am not happy with what happened with the supreme court i think the supreme court should have heard the Texas case at least and rendered an actual uh, opinion on that case. And so I'm not happy the fact that they just chose not to hear it, but we are where we are now. The question is what's going to happen on January 6th when the electoral college, we have to ratify the results of the electoral college. I've been talking with many of my colleagues in our freshman class. A lot of us have the same questions that a lot of voters have. We have sewer serious issues. Um, we're going to be taking a, a serious deep, hard look at the facts and at the evidence and what's, what's really there. And then we're going to make a decision. I think every member is going to make their own decision on how they want to deal with this. I know Mo Brooks is definitely leading the charge on challenging the results. I got to tell you, I agree with Mo Brooks, Mo's position. I think I'm going to be challenging him as well. But you got to sit down and look at all the data, all the evidence, and then make a decision on behalf of the American people. Absolutely. I think that's a very prudent in your part. I mean, you, you can't make it a partisan decision because you need to look at the facts. But if you're convinced, I don't know if you saw Peter Navarro's uh, paper, uh, he wrote it as a private citizen, not as a trade representative. But uh, I thought he gave, he, he gave a very concise uh, a summary of what happened across these six uh, states. And uh, I think it's a great tool to use not only for courts, but also private citizens to understand what happened. Well, one thing I want to bring up to you, Bob, there's a congressional race that nobody's talking about. Mm -hmm. I believe it's in Indiana 6. And it's a race between Marianne Miller Meeks and I forget the incumbent. The incumbent Democrat lost by six votes mm -hmm. after the recounts. Mm -hmm. You know, after all the recounts, Bob, in Iowa, not Indiana, it's in Iowa, lost by six votes. The, the Democrat incumbent who lost her seat is not going to the courts to seek remedy or to seek a new recount the way the president has gone to the courts. She's taking her challenge directly to the House of Representatives. So the next Congress is going to have to hear, I'm going to vote on it. Mm -hmm. Her challenge of the results in the Iowa, one of the Iowa congressional races in Congress, 
not in court. The president has taken his challenges to court repeatedly. The courts have made decisions that I don't agree with. Uh, Most of the time, it wasn't that the court uh, declined or turned down the challenge. It's that the court refused to hear it. Mm -hmm. And that's the issue that a lot of people are having is the court is not actually doing its job and actually hearing the legal challenges and then rendering a decision on those challenges. The only court that's really turned has really just said no and, and really turned down the challenges after hearing it is really the court in Pennsylvania. Their Supreme Court is a rogue left court. And frankly, that court is the reason we're in this situation in particular yeah. because of what they did uh, usurping the, the authority of the state legislature and going around the state legislature. But that being said, you have a Democrat incumbent who's come into Congress to challenge the uh, results of her election. So if it's good enough for her, then why isn't it good enough for the president of the United States to come to Congress to challenge the results of his? Mm-hmm. This is the stuff with the left, the, 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 the literal inconsistency and hypocrisy of their arguments. And so we're going to hear a congressional, a challenge for a congressional race in the next Congress. And so when we have to sit down on, on January 6th and go through what's going on with the Electoral College, um, it's going to be a similar challenge. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a lot of conversations going on right now amongst the conservatives in Congress and those who are going to, going to be in Congress like myself. And so we're going to see how this whole thing is going to shake out. Um, it's going to be tough sledding in the Senate, though. Mitch McConnell, I think, is pushing every ledger, every lever, unfortunately, for none of this to happen. Well, uh, he is. However, I think he's going to alienate a lot of senators because already uh, Rand Paul has spoken out. We know that several senators do not support his point of view. And by the way, he's got egg all over his face. He's accepted money from Dominion. <laughs> he's, you know, he's, uh, well, he, you know, he's, he's not in a good place to be making that kind of comment, quite frankly, in my opinion. Hey, what, what this uh, representative is challenging the six-vote result from Iowa, she lost the case, so she's taken it to Congress. So how is this yeah. going to be determined? Is it going to be uh, by state or by uh, uh, a hand vote from all uh, rep- uh, con- congress- uh, congressmen? So this is a, this is what I have to get familiar with. I don't know the procedure. What I do know is is that that challenge is coming directly to Congress. Wow, it's different for the presidency. For the presidency, every delegation votes, and that's the difference. For the presidency, every delegation votes in Congress. And the Republicans control more delegations than the Democrats, even though the Democrats have the majority. That's primarily because of places like New York and California. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's the situation we have right now. Um, when it comes to this congressional seat, I'm not sure if it's by delegation or if it's by just single-member vote. Well, we'll see. Yeah, Byron, you know, I'm just uh, hoping we've seen... I'm just hoping that folks put on their big boy pants and stand up for what's right and what's for just. I'm not saying they should... Uh, uh, cheat or anything like that but i just think they should take a look at the facts and vote their conscience and what's best for the american people and what the facts tell them so uh, so far we've seen people avoiding that and i hope uh, we're getting down to the 11th hour that needs to happen look my position on this is, is clear about the problem we have is that you have states like pennsylvania georgia uh, michigan wisconsin nevada that literally had their voting laws changed by a body that's not authorized to change them. Right. They were changed either by the court or they were changed by a secretary of state or they were changed by a governor. And none of those people have the authority under the constitution to change voting laws. 
that rely that that power is solely in the hands of the state legislature and the state legislature in those states did not act to change voting laws it's very simple so then the secondary step from that is if they didn't vote in the legislature to change voting laws then any ballots cast under this new regime Mm -hmm. that are outside the boundaries the purview of what the legislature has authorized are not valid are not valid ballots yeah this is not this is easy stuff it's not hard the controversy is and really it's not the controversy because this is not controversial but what's really controversial is the fact that these states made and i don't want to say these states that pe- that bodies within these states made changes to election law mm-hmm. and the left is perfect perfectly fine with it because as usual all they care about is the outcome right they don't care about the process and if this is allowed to if this is if this stands this actually creates a major uh uh issue in our election going forward no question because then what it tells a governor or a secretary of state is that they can do whatever they want and the legislature has no role when it comes to creating election law absolutely byron donald's again our u.s congressman Byron, I so genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. You, you have a great day. And you too, and Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Megan Rose, the CEO of a great organization, Better Together. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I could only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's watching part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. You can get some tickets now by just visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with John Burlow from the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Right now we have with us Megan Rose. She is the CEO of a great organization. It's called Better Together. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Our show always a joy. You know, well, thank you, Megan. So uh, I saw that you got a beautiful, wonderful award from the Gannett Foundation. I believe it was twenty five thousand dollars, and I think uh, they acknowledged. Just, I'm so happy for you because I think they're acknowledging the very important work that you're doing. So maybe you could tell us about the uh, Better Together and what you do. Yes. So. Better Together is a privately funded, volunteer-driven, and professionally supported nonprofit that's headquartered in Naples, Florida, and we've been working to help keep families together and out of the foster care system by helping them get support when they need it through short-term hosting, through volunteer families that care for their kids while they work um, to get back on their feet. And then church-powered job fairs, and we recently did a virtual job fair at Covenant Church in Naples. And we do our job fairs um, all over the country because we know jobs are really important. And people need, especially now in a year like 2020, people need community, they need support, and then they need a job. And those two things help a person flourish and help them um, just be able to be whole um, Mm -hmm. and be able to have dignity and be able to contribute and be a productive member of society. Yeah, I'd just like to underscore the importance of the work that you're doing because the foster care uh, program, usually kids are in the program. Once they get into involved in this foster care program, they're in there for a long time. It's hard to get out of it, number one. And number two, it's a big expense. What you do is basically keep them out of foster care by having them uh, families who are trained, uh, taking the child in and providing support until the parents get through their crisis, whether it's alcoholism or uh, couldn't find a job, homelessness, whatever it might be. They get settled, they get back on their feet. And if I'm not mistaken, most of the parents who are taking in the kids and the families that are taking in these kids actually end up mentoring them and helping them in terms of getting their life back in order. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, these volunteers that we recruit mostly from churches really get to know the whole person, the whole family, mm-hmm. and they invite them into being an extended part of their family. And so we've seen just with the pandemic, 155% increase with our Better Families program this year. So we are on track to serve over 1,000 kids. And these are 1,000 kids that could have ended up in the foster care system. But because we exist and our volunteers are so generous and opening up their homes and mentoring these parents towards stability, um, these kids are waking up on Christmas morning in their homes with their parents instead of in foster care, which is really beautiful, and that is what we're aiming to do. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing, and I believe you've taken in some kids as well in your family. Yes, my husband and I, um, we have three little ones, um, but we've hosted 18 kids over the last four years, and we still have a relationship with every single mom and dad Isn't that, um, that we were able to build a you know, care for in their time of need. And it's been neat to see them come full circle. We have one family that we helped. It was due to a medical emergency. They were in a car accident. They had nobody to care for their kids. Um, and now they are hosting kids themselves. Wow. 
So not only do we help these families, but then they turn around and they help others in their own way because they all have something that they can give back. They all have dignity. And we see these parents just come full circle. Yeah, and, the, and these job fairs, uh, just to m- make a mention of this, uh, it's just an amazing thing because uh, it turns out that these uh, church members, in many cases, are, are mentoring some of the people that are looking for a job and teaching them how to look the, uh, the person interviewer in the eye, how to uh, pre- present themselves that address appropriately for the, uh, for the process. And the results are absolutely amazing. Kids are, I mean, these people are really finding jobs. I mean, you, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the results. Our job program is really humanizing the job-seeking process Mm -hmm. and just elevating people who are looking for a job and giving them that support, that encouragement, that coaching that they need to be successful. So we partner with churches actually all across the country, Mm -hmm. and our volunteer job coaches, they do exactly that. They connect with people. We had a job seeker who had been rejected 151 times, and he had just lost hope. He was about to give up. He was feeling, you know, when you're rejected over and over, you start to think, you know, rejection really hurts. And so you start to think you have nothing valuable that you can offer an employer. But he did. He had a lot of really great um, skill sets, and he had a uh, a lot that he could offer employers. So that job coach tapped into that, encouraged him, and then made that connection virtually um, to an employer that was looking to hire, and he got a job on the spot. Isn't that cool? And so that's what we're doing is really helping people have a just a pathway to connect with hiring managers and then coaching them and giving them the skills that they need to be successful and not just get a job but also sustain a job. Yeah, so now you're not giving handouts. You're giving a hand up. You're really helping people to do for themselves what they can do, and it's it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I'm sure we have some listeners that are moved by what we're talking about and uh, perhaps want to become uh, one of those families that participates in some way uh, or maybe make a contract. This all costs money, by the way. <laughs> and so how can we support your efforts? Yes. So we are always looking for volunteers, the job coach. We have so much need. We're looking for volunteers who can open up their home, who can mentor, and we're always looking, like for financial supporters or 100% privately funded, we do not want to ever accept government funding. They're really powered by the local community. And that's why that um, grant from the Gannett Foundation and the publicity that we've been able to get from the newspaper has just been really exciting for us. Absolutely. Um, but they can go to www.bettertogetherus.org. Um, and just visit our website and learn more about how you can get involved with this really important um, program and work that we're doing in Southwest Florida and beyond. BetterTogetherUS.org. Did I get that right? BetterTogetherUS.org is the uh, website. Yes, you did. Megan Rose, again, CEO, and she really walks the walk, doesn't she? She does a great job. Megan Rose, uh, CEO of Better Together. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Uh, You have a great day as well, and Merry Christmas, uh, Megan. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with John Burlow. He is the Senior Fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute and author of George Washington, Entrepreneur. Great read. I read the book. It's really terrific. We're going to do that more.
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We have with us John Burlow. He is the senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute and is author of a terrific book. It's called George Washington Entrepreneur, How Our Founding Fathers Private Business Pursuits Changed America and the World. It's a great book. John, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having me, uh, uh, Bob. It's an honor to be on there and talking about George Washington Entrepreneur, my, my, my new book. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a terrific read. Really, I feel like you helped me get to know George Washington in a way that I hadn't understood him in, in before. And he's uh, all of his wonderful accomplishments, but he also was, he was so ingenious in terms of how he ran Mount Vernon uh, and some of the inventions and the things that he did uh, and accomplished as an entrepreneur. He really was, and he faced some challenging times that could be inspiring for our challenging times, like when there was like a glut in the tobacco market and he thought the soil at Mount Vernon just wasn't suited for it. He decided just to start over and, you know, phase out tobacco and grow things like wheat, hemp, other things, then became successful at wheat. So, you know, like said, why not make flour and why not brand the flour with, you know, what was then sort of like a... Uh, their equivalent of intellectual property and ended up exporting it throughout all the colonies and selling it back to Britain. It, it, amazing accomplishments. George, I really encourage our listeners. This would make a great Christmas book, right? by the way, and it's, it's a great book for kids of all ages, including you and I. And that, again, it's called uh, George Washington Entrepreneur by John Burlau. B-E-R-L-A-U, John. So, uh, but now you wrote a column about minerals, protected minerals, uh, and uh, from the Dodd Frank bill that are going to affect the distribution, of, this, of all things, of the COVID nineteen vaccine. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yes. Well, tucked into the Dodd Frank bill, which um, you know, as was ostensibly concerned, in fact, was uh, but didn't really. Solve, solve this problem either of the financial crisis, yet did nothing about Fannie and Freddie and other things that were at root of the financial crisis and put in a lot of red tape at Community Bank. But something that was, was really just shoved in there at the last minute was forcing American public companies to disclose if they may have used any of, you know, gold, tin, tantalum, or tungsten that may have been from, like, war areas controlled by Warlord in the Congo 
Now, American manufacturers, they buy these things from suppliers and things that can be reused five or six times, so they really had no way of, have no way of knowing, so they've had to just sort of avoid the area, put that area off limits, which actually hurt the people in the area. It meant, meant that they, they were experiencing more poverty. Even the New York Times uh, has, has said that. But now a lot of this material... Um, you know, and, and there's a real challenge as far as, as far as raw materials for the, vac- for the vaccines, for ventilators, things like that, like tantalum, like capacitors and ventilators are made, for, made from tantalum and syringes and needles and vaccines, the refrigerators, you know, to keep the vaccines frozen, which we know are so important. Um, the, the designated minerals are all a part of that, and we're basically putting this region off limits, World War II-like effort needed to distribute the vaccines. So it may very well slow the process, and as well as give advantage to, to China. But fortunately, there is a way, and we're I and some other uh, DEI and some other groups are trying to persuade President Trump to waive it, as he has the authority to do for na- in Dodd Frank for national security reasons. See, this is an object lesson here for having legislation affect the unintended consequences. Their intent was to make uh, this unprofitable for warlords so that, uh, that we'd have more peace in the region. Instead, we created more starvation and homelessness in the region and, and prevented them from getting the help they need for COVID-19. Yes, well, it was a clumsy way of doing it. I mean, it's, it's one thing if you, you know, this is the kind of thing, it's sort of civics 101 that, you know, you have when it's something that's a complex foreign policy issue, you have a... You have other countries doing uh, doing it, and, and as as well, and you have a foreign policy agency like the State Department. You don't, you know, shove some you know half measure through uh, an agency like the Securities and Exchange Commission, which has no foreign policy experience, and make it act like a backdoor tariff, and just you know handcuff U.S. manufacturers and making it easy for foreign manufacturers to get this, which is exactly what this bill has done. Yeah. I, I forgot to ask you about the Competitive Enterprise Institute. So our listeners will understand the, uh, the mission of the organization. What exactly does the Competitive Enterprise Institute do? Well, we are concerned with making, uh, having, having competition and getting rid of barriers to competition for enterprises to, uh, and for both investors and entrepreneurs to, and consumers to have Choices as far as what product types of products they buy, what types of you know companies they you know having more companies to invest in, being able to get in on the ground floor of early com- companies instead of you know having red tape preventing that, and having entrepreneurs having you know different sources of financing, whether that's uh, you know lending or crowdfunding or you know new things from financial technology with cryptocurrency or other things, just. Keeping you know away the red tape and and uh, that uh, and preserving the tradition of American innovation. Yeah, terrific organization, Competitive Enterprise Institute. I think it's cei.org, if I'm not mistaken. That right. That is our website, cei.org. So, with all this in mind now, and you're what you're, what I'm understanding is that you're basically committed to free trade, to free markets, and uh, getting the red tape out of the way and for uh, for keeping industry, keeping enterprise moving forward. Uh, for everybody, so and getting uh, government out of the way, quite frankly, and uh, so, what do you think of Dodd Frank? I think it was it was a, it was a, a disaster. This is and at some point, and this this the conflict minerals in particular that had, had in this case, you know, has had uh, 
deadly consequences and could even have even 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 more even more so. And plus, it didn't deal with uh, with the, the problem of of Fanny. Uh, Fannie and Freddie, you know, uh, creating the incentives for bad loans, which I will give credit to the Trump administration, to Mark Calabria, who's the head of the Fannie and Freddie regulator, Federal Housing Finance Agency. He is trying to now put, you know, something that so there will be more capital on Fannie and Freddie, so they're, they're you're going to be less of a problem in the future. We'll have to see if the, if, you know, if the, if whatever new administration uh, doesn't, uh, we will try to try to wash try to wash that wash that away. Yeah. But there there has at last been some progress with that, thanks to uh, President Trump's appointees, uh, Mark uh, Mark Calabria, as well as you know as well as as well as a, a law that in 2018 President Trump signed that got rid of at least uh, some of the burden from Dodd Dodd Frank for for community banks and credit unions. Um, but we're, so we're going to have to be vigilant in doing that. Plus, you know. Fighting, you know, the plenty of mandates from Dodd Frank, like the conflict minerals provision that are still there. Right, absolutely. So uh, again, I'm going to refer our listeners to your website again. CEI.org is the website. CEI.org uh, is uh, the website for the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And also, good Christmas gift and uh, George Washington Entrepreneur: How Our Founding Fathers' Private Business Pursuits Changed America and the World by John Burlow. John, I, gen- yes. I genuinely appreciate uh, your commentary here. And, oh, by the way, is there a, uh, an outlet, a special outlet that you're promoting to uh, to get your book? Well, it's available at Amazon. Uh, it's been a bestseller in several categories, like colonial history and Amazon, as well as wherever Barnes and Noble, Walmart.com, wherever, and and it and in physical store uh, stores wherever books are sold. So uh-huh. if you don't see it there, ask for it. But it should be there. Absolutely. Yeah, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure indeed. Uh, well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I certainly did. It's all right. <laughs> I, I kind of screwed up on a couple things, but nevertheless, it, it, uh, we, nobody died. It's a good thing. So I uh, hope you join us on Monday. Uh, Mark Schulman will be joining us. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. He'll be talking about current global affairs. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll visit with Larry as well as Jim McTagg. He's the author of a couple of books. His uh, Murder Mysteries, he's the former Barron's uh, Washington bureau chief, but he's also written these books, Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. Great reads by Jim McTagg. Uh, I hope you, if you enjoyed the show, please uh, send me a note. If you didn't, send me a note as well. I'd like to know what your thoughts might be. You, if you'd like to get on the uh on the mailing list for the newsletter, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are, and great weekend as well. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.